This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. In this week's message, which was originally given on January 17th, 2021, our member Pam Hayes tells us about Martin Luther King Jr.'s Other Dreams. Well, good morning. Before we get started, I'd like to mention some changes in languages, language uh, since the 1960s, which will be evident in many of the quotations that I share with you today. Uh, as many of you know, Blacks were referred to politely as Negroes during that time. Uh, the The nomenclature of Black developed a little bit later with Black Power Movement. Also, at that time, gender-specific terminology was totally unheard of. When I was asked to do this service on Martin Luther King Sunday, I was really pleased. Mostly I was pleased because uh, at the various services and events that they've attended on Martin Luther King Sunday or, or on the day of service, Americans too often get a sugar-coated, sanitized, one-dimensional view of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Someone usually quotes his famous words, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So what's wrong with that? Well, nothing really. Uh, though it kind of creates a a friendly picture of a fatherly black minister, a kumbaya type of person, the man standing nobly on the giant white column in DC, the man that we feel safe naming streets after. And of course, those streets usually end up mostly in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. This was his dream. But he had other dreams as well. King was a well-educated and very intelligent man. He developed a very sophisticated analysis of social issues. As his philosophy, thinking, and strategies developed, he also had other dreams. He had a dream of economic equality that included, guess what, a redistribution of, of wealth. He even said that at heart, he was a socialist. Another very important dream that he had was for world peace. He saw himself as an international person. It grew out of his deep Christian faith, his commitment to nonviolence, and his profound understanding of the importance of human rights throughout the world, not just in the United States. In furtherance of his understanding of nonviolence principles and practices, he visited both Africa and India. He was vehemently against the Vietnam War. Uh, He faced much criticism for his anti-war stand. 
1967, at his last meeting with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, he said, we are here, I'm gonna put his picture up for a minute. We are here because we believe that something new might emerge in the political life of this nation, which will produce a new man, new structures, new institutions, and a new life for mankind. I am convinced that this new life will not emerge until our nation undergoes a radical revolution of values. When machines and computers, and remember he's saying this in 1967, when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, when that happens, the giant triplets of racism, economic exploitation, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. The Negro Revolution is facing America to face systemic rather than superficial flaws and suggests that radical reconstruction of society itself is the real issue to be faced. We must go out into a sometimes hostile world declaring eternal opposition to poverty, race, and militarism. So this is a little bit more revolutionary picture of Martin Luther King than our sanitized versions often give us. Those of you who have read Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, will be reminded of his conclusion that the most important thing to do to eliminate racism is not to change people's attitudes first, but to change the racist system and policies. So 50 years later, we have another black writer telling us that we need not just decrease racist attitudes, but we must face and change our systemic problems. So we see that Martin Luther King was a revolutionary, but that's not all he was. As I pondered how best to use my 20 minutes with you, I thought that another very important thing to tell you about was the well-loved quotation, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He said this in his, fav his famous letter from a Birmingham jail essay. I was attracted to that topic for a couple of reasons. One was to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Theodore Parker, a Unitarian minister, was uh, the, uh, his words were the origin of the idea. When King was working on his PhD in systemic theology, notice that name, not just theology, but systemic theology at Boston University. Parker was one of the many writers whose works became foundational for him. King used this phrase throughout his ministry. Then, many years later, Barack Obama liked it so much that he used it frequently and he had it even woven into his rug at the Oval Office. So anyone that came in and sat in those little couches that had that carpet that rug in front of them, they saw those words about the ark. I also like the phrase a lot because I have seen the ark bend towards justice 
in so many ways just in my lifetime. I really believe that as a nation, besides honestly facing our enormous crimes and challenges, we also need to acknowledge our accomplishments and our growth, as imperfect as they may be. After exposing our wrongs, let's do also do more of what's been effective. Very easy to tear down and to despair. As Kendi says, if we ignore the odds and fight to create an anti-racist world, then we give humanity a chance to one day survive, a chance to live in communion, a chance to be forever free. So here we have 50 years later, another black writer and, and leader telling us uh, the odds are great, but we have to go further. I've told many people that for the last month or so, I've been living with King. There have been a few raised eyebrows at that, beginning with my husband now. But people understood when I told them that I had been immersed in reading his words, listening to his speeches and sermons and watching YouTubes of him. So a third idea that I had for this service was to tell you more about his remarkable life. Although I've been alive through most of King's lifetime, during my research, I still learned a lot and became even more deeply impressed with him as a human being. To keep it all straight, I created what I thought was a very condensed three-page timeline of his life. I thought about sharing it with you just so you could learn more about his amazing life. But I had to abandon that idea after reading aloud, hurrying through my abbreviated timeline and finding out it took uh, 10 minutes just to go through the timeline. How do you quickly and justly talk about the life of a man who has been called a preacher, speaker, saint, organizer, leader, extremist, warrior, traitor, hero, adulterer, writer, scholar, appeaser, drum major, plagiarist, egotist, Nobel Prize winner, radical commie scum, we're still hearing some of that, uh, heretic, Uncle Tom, and finally mentor. So as I was pondering all this, what to say in this service, in this 20 minutes, June, uh, January, <laughs> January 6th happened. I really wish that our beloved Pastor Emma was here with us to share her wisdom about making sense of this national nightmare. But since she isn't, since while, while we're all here together, I felt that I should say something about it. Immediately I thought, what would King do? What would he say? Of course, I don't know the answer to that, but the one thing I know for sure is that love would be the foundation of his response. The core of nonviolence, of course, is not to respond violently to those who would do violence to you. 
MLK was assaulted four times in his life. Uh, one of those times was he almost died from someone stabbing him at a book signing. Uh, and even though he had a bodyguard, had bodyguards and awareness of many assassination threats, uh, he still did not respond violently. He was jailed 29 times during his short life. So right now, as we think about the violence that we saw on our TV screens, let us listen to some of the things he said about confronting hatred. Man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies it, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. So King lays out a challenging plan for us. Funny thing, it reminds me of some of the things that Jesus said also. Our closing hymn that we'll sing in a few minutes speaks to this as well. You can change the world with your love. I know that some of you are good at this. I'm not so good. But I wanted to share King's words. Another thing I feel sure he would say is he would issue a call to action. Think of King's words speak to you. Run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. To me, that says uh, there's a place for all of us. Uh, if you can't sing like angels, become the technology wizard instead. There's room for all of us. Change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe nor politic nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. Freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. I guess I should realize that few members of a race that is oppressed another race 
can understand or appreciate the deep groans and passionate yearnings of those that have been oppressed and still fewer have the vision to see that injustice must be rooted must be rooted out by strong, persistent, and determined action. The call is now. King was also a brittle, <laughs> he wasn't brittle, he was flexible. King was also a brilliant political strategist. Any action he and his followers took was carefully planned based on experienced and in-depth knowledge of the likelihood of the results. As I made my timeline, I noticed that major national policy changes, laws that still affect us today and give people rights, however imperfectly, occurred after demonstrations, protests, and boycotts. Civil Rights Act of 1957, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the Fair Housing Act of 1968 were not acted it were not enacted out of the benevolence of Congress. They came after repeated civil rights actions. As he said, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. King's leadership, of course, was not the only factor in making some legislative progress. Some would say that the Black Power Movement, SNCC, CORE, and other organizations with some different strategies were equally influential. And there are constant arguments about groups, about strategies, just as there are today. Putting aside these musings about what King would say to us, probably the more relevant question for us today is, what should we do? I get asked this question often and it fills me with angst because I wish I could tell the questioners what they want to hear. People really do want to help. I wish I could tell them the one thing that would do it. I wish I could give them some new and surefire ideas. However, when I'm honest, I say, Work very hard for the politicians who support your values. Give them your time and any money you can spare. Communicate with them regularly about your support of issues. Maybe pick out one issue like mental health treatment or public school education or criminal justice reform to become knowledgeable about. Read, learn, watch YouTubes, listen to TED Talks, talk with other people involved in or affected by the issue. You can communicate with people all over the country and even all over the world to become more knowledgeable and more connected. Then your advocacy will be more effective. Do what you can to make the electoral process as fair as possible. There's much you can accomplish online during election season that does not expose you to COVID. Once the virus is subdued, in-person voter registration can help. When that day comes, the day that we can be with together, each other again, go in person to your politicians' forums and listening posts. Establish a personal relationship with them. Thank them and support them. 
if there are relevant demonstrations, marches, and vigils, being present can have some positive results. What if we had a rally and nobody came? Communicate also with national politicians as you can. So political action is my best answer to how can I help? Just think, how would our nation's future be different? If so many people had not given money and time to the senatorial campaigns in Georgia, did you do anything? I know quite a few you just did. I gave money and wrote letters. People all over the United States did the same. The next four years would have been entirely different if Mitch McConnell and Republicans had kept control of the Senate. Political action really does make a difference. And we don't have to put our lives on the line as Martin Luther King and a lot of protesters did. Technological resources were, have been used for years to misinform, program, organize, and incite the people who stormed our capital, resulting in the death of five people. We need to be equally resourceful at using these tools for good. This can be our own 21st century kind of witnessing, as Martin Luther King calls us to do. And if you're not political and can't make yourself put your toe in the water of political action, anything that builds our positive social connections and helps to rebalance the physical and social resources in our community is extremely valuable and worth doing. But for long range results, combating situations like January 6th, Nothing is more effective than working for long-range policy changes. So, to conclude this talk, in closing, I will quote Martin Luther King once more. When our days become dreary with low, hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil. A power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Let us always remember that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com.
Thanks for listening.